It's been a 
morning, labor and lovers. Labors and lovers, I should say. This is the B. And you are tuned to Labor and Love Radio on Mutiny Radio, mutinyradio.fm, 2781 21st Street in San Francisco. Lila Down. Niña. All the action. Maquiladora de un desperdicio en la tierra, el hijo del sol nació. Este mundo material 
All right. Good morning. Good morning, labor and labors and lovers. This is the B, aka Bill Morgan, welcoming you to the Labor and Love Show on MutinyRadio.fm. <clears throat> Our physical presence is 2781 21st Street. Right now, broadcasting from there. And available on the web at mutinyradio.fm. And if you want to listen to archive shows, you can do that as well. This is the Labor and Love Show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, at your work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Let's see here. I wanted to play a couple of things and get them out of the way. This is our credo here at Labor and Love Radio. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if there are quote-unquote illegal, undocumented immigrants in this country. Without Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals bullshit, is just the 1% convincing the working class to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. Instead of realizing the reason they are all poor is due to vast income inequality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Please use your brains. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's everything. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Duh. But it's said very well, very compactly. Now, we have an emergency at the border. We've already killed two kids coming across the border. They must have something to do with an emergency. Are they the emergency? Officers from our Homeland Security Department go around destroying water sites where people leave water out in the desert for those trying to cross. People are being convicted, convicted of providing water for starving, thirsty people in the desert. And what it is is madness. It's fascist madness, which begins with a dedication to rules which begins as a dedication to a structure, which we all need. We all need structures in our lives, both public and personal.
but following the structure to the very end, the logical conclusion is you're out in the desert arresting people and destroying water stations for people who are dying of thirst, set up for people who are dying of thirst. You are, by sticking to the end, to go take it all the way to the logical conclusion, you take children away from their parents. You take children away from their parents so that their parents won't try to come to the U.S. Our problem is there are too many people who want to come here. Some problem, huh? Look at the other one here. So you're just not that into politics, huh? You know, there's always one person. Often you hear it. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just not that into politics. I really don't know what's going on. You're just not that into politics. So you're just not that into politics. Your boss is. Your landlord is. Your insurance company is, and every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. Hey, it's time to get into politics. It's time. All right, let's take a look now at uh, some labor stories from this week. Uh, you have the strike in Matamoros, which gets uh, short shrift here in the U.S. 40,000 people who work in the automobile industry in the area in and around Matamoros, Mexico, went on strike. What had happened was that the new uh, AMLO, the new president of Mexico, had said he would double wages in the Maquiladora zones, the factories right on the, on the border. That's what Leela Downs was singing about, by the way. What fledgling, what feathered thing is being born on the border? Um, so they were promised, AMLO said he would double the wages of the workers in the frontera in the maquiladoras because prices are so high in that area costs more to buy a gallon of milk in mexico than it does to buy a gallon of milk in the u.s but not much more so these people were promised these workers were promised that their wages would be doubled how about that? The problem was their factory owners were not paying it. They had not. They had decided not to pay the double wages and see what would happen. Well, the workers went on strike is what happened. And they won. All but three of the factories now pay that doubled, newly doubled wage. And out of 27, such a big victory. But again, we're not going to hear about it 
if you just watch the U.S. news, that's it's not going to be a big deal, you know. Oh yeah, a bunch of workers. In. Yeah, but what did Trump say today? Okay, let's play some music and. Uh, Wanted to play some Sam Cooke today. Here's some Sultans of Swing.
microphone Complex. 
Hey, baby, what's the gig at tonight? Well, there's one over at Slicks for faggots and pricks. There's one around Graveyard side of town that'll cost you a pound. But if you go and know what I know, you better pack your piece at least, or you'll die next. Cause the white man's got a God complex. Mr. Stein, I don't pay enough rent for this pad to be mine. But you just wanna cheat me cause I ain't your kind. Damn, can't you see the places falling down? No, you can't dig it cause you ain't never around. Damn, I'm so poor, I don't know what in the hell I'ma do anymore. Not from this day to the next. Cause the white man's got a God complex. I'm making guns. I'm God. I'm God. I'm making bombs. I'm God. I'm, God. I'm making gas. I'm God. I'm making freak machines. I'm God. Rife control pills. I'm God. Kill Indians with discovered him. I'm God. Kill Japanese with the A-bomb. I'm God. Kill still killing black people. I'm God. Enslaving Earth. I'm God. No one to the moon. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. Something saying, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, Where don't you know? That's the sound of the men working on the chain gang. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang, all day long they're saying, Ooh. Ah. Ooh. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang, that's the sound of the men working on the chain. Game. All day long they work so hard till the sun is going down. Working on the highways and byways and wearing, wearing a frown. You hear them moaning their lives away, then you hear somebody say, That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang, that's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang, can't you hear them saying, mm, I'm going home one of these days. I'm going home, see my woman, whom I love so dear. But meanwhile, I've got to work right here. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang, that's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang, all day long they're saying, hmm. My, 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 my work is so hard. Give me water, I'm thirsty, my. My work is so hard, whoa, my, 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 my. My work is so hard. Oh, 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 oh. 
Welcome back. This is Labor and Love, Labor and Love Radio at Mission Mutiny Radio on 2781 21st Street. Give me a second, I'll reach over and get one of these flyers. This flyer is announcing The Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival yearly event is the fourth annual event. 50 comics, 45 shows, five days. Showtimes, advanced tickets, and more information available at www.mutinyradio.fm. This is the, I guess you want to call it, the underground comic around comedians uh, headquarters mutiny radio this is an event that draws people from all over the west coast and all over the country 50 comics 45 shows 5 days March 1st through March 5th so five days of comedy, and it's the kind of thing. This is like a factory where comedy comes out of. People come here during the week, and you can come to our uh, comedy shows run by our station manager, Pam Benjamin. You can come up, tell your jokes, and get honest feedback by, from people in the audience, other comics like yourself. This is the legendary way that great talent is born and nurtured. You know, working it up against like the Lester Young in the 1930s, the big sax battles they would have. Okay, we, we had uh, Sam Cooke and the Chain Gang, and I'm playing some Sam Cooke because not only to honor the great Sam Cooke, there's a new Netflix uh, bio of Sam Cooke, which I definitely want to see. That was the chain gang. Sam Cooke was not afraid to engage uh, social justice issues into his music. Uh, we let off the whole show where the change is going to come. I was born by the river. Before that, we had the last poets, and the last poets are telling us that the white man's got a God complex. You do something I don't like, I'll kill you. The white man's got a God complex, an incarnate in the president of the United States right now. Talk about a God complex. It's like God has a Trump complex. At any rate, the white man's got a God complex by the last poets back in 1971. These are the people who, among other things, inspired uh, Gil Scott Heron. And um, we had the Sultans of Swing telling about some musicians who, uh, who have jobs on the side in order to pay the bills and uh, play music at night. And, but a, 
What an exciting thing that is, even though they get tired of it. The music always sort of brings them in. All right, let's listen to World Labor now. This is Radio Labor. This is the labor movement all around the world. What's happening? Now, usually we have to wait for Radio Labor. Okay, let's wait a little. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, February 15th, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, how the Transport Workers Global Union is renewing itself to confront globalization and perilous work why thousands of Bangladeshi garment workers are being fired, fighting the anti-union practices of Chinese firms in Africa, and singing... From slums of New York City to the streets of Bangladesh Hundred years of struggle, it ain't over yet This is Radio Labor. One of the great success stories of the international labor movement in the past few years has been the rise in influence of the global unions. These are labor organizations which represent particular sectors such as public services or education. One of the global unions which has been in a process of renewing itself in the face of increased globalization, automation, and new perilous forms of work is the International Transport Workers Federation. The ITF represents some 18 million members in 147 countries. The members work in sectors such as seafaring, aviation, docks, and inland transport. The ITF recently held a congress in Singapore, and one of the topics was union renewal. To find out more about how the ITF is renewing its efforts to represent workers, I talked to Stephen Cotton. Mr. Cotton is the ITF's General Secretary. The ITF's been in a process of transition to become a more dynamic organisation with an objective of having real workplace issues driving our processes. So part of that conversation, we put together a Congress theme document that was to deal with you know, the future of work, but also identify prioritising um, which region or which regions need our, our input, and also certainly sections. So whilst the ITF will continue to provide um, hopefully a professional supportive service to all of our eight sections, we've identified that um, certain areas need more consideration than others. So I can take it through a certain kind of process in the sense that so for us, Asia-Pacific is one of those areas where um, we see massive potential of growth, but we also see some inherent potential weaknesses in, in, in our sectors. So we're looking at building our capacity, and we've carried out a review of Asia-Pacific over the last four years. Um, today we have offices in Singapore, Tokyo, Sydney, and Delhi, and each one of those areas has a certain specialisation, but also they're all there to be collectively pulling together in the region. And I think probably all of us would admit it's probably the most diverse and challenging regions. 
based on the need to, you know, first of all, there's developed world, there's developing world, and various different strands of uh, methods of democracy and, um, and and trade union power. So for us, Asia Pacific is a real target area. So we've identified that. When the ITF went through a process of reorganising ourselves, we also identified that we we basically need to have first class research or intelligence about what's going on in the world. So we also have been looking, again, in our regional review processes, we've been looking at regional developments, but we've also been looking across... all the eight transport sectors about where is kind of the critical areas. And we've identified and supported by the executive board and the various chairs from the sections who've been incredibly supportive about a more collective collective approach to everything. And it's not always easy because, of course, if you make these decisions, you have to allocate the resources to deliver the outcomes. But we've identified that... Um, the aviation is a massive area of growth and one of great potential for both, for both developing countries and develop, developing countries and developed countries and then also um, comes into a process of how do we build power um, for our aviation unions um, and again it's a multi complex um, sector in itself but it also has got massive new buildings of, of planes. We see uh, the expansion of aviation transportation in both passenger and in freight. So for us, we've also identified that aviation needs a, a global push. Um, of course, we've been running a pretty successful campaign against Ryanair to get their uh, pilots and their and their cabin crew um, unionised recognition in Europe. And so we'll be looking at that area. We're also looking at one of our other major strands is what we're describing as the future of work. Um, and that is, again, having various different impacts in different sections in different ways. But it's more complicated than that because we also need to to look at the, the reality of what's happening, um, not just from a sectorial position, but also um, we believe uh, the future of work is also connected quite closely to uh, climate change and also to um, the conversation in the future about um, what the ILO's commission came out with early last month. And again, what is the workers say for them for their own future garment workers in bangladesh who went on strike recently are being harassed and fired see marie ainsborough reports in bangladesh thousands of garment workers who participated in a strike for higher wages in january have been fired the global union which represents the garment workers at the world level industrial estimates that more than 11,000 workers have lost their jobs Many of the fired workers are senior wage-grade employees. The employers have been picking off the higher-paid workers in order to cut down on their total wage and benefit expenses. The average garment worker in Bangladesh earns about $2 a day. The terminations came after the garment workers won only minimal pay increases during the strike, which started last December and extended into January. About 70 workers were arrested during the dispute, and only some have been released on bail. The employers and the government have filed legal cases against 3,000 workers. 
Large numbers of workers have been physically threatened by thugs hired by the employers. The garment workers are employed by global brands such as H&M, Puma, Walmart, and JCPenney. This is C. Marie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labor. In Africa, labor unions are growing increasingly concerned about Chinese investment and respect for workers' rights. Chinese trade with Africa totals more than $200 billion, which is twice the level of U.S. African trade. And that Chinese-African trade is expected to double by 2020. To better understand the situation for unions in Africa when it comes to Chinese state and corporate investment, I talked to Kruchencha Mofuken. Ms. Mofuken is the regional representative for Africa and Middle East of the Building and Woodworkers International Global Union. BWI represents 12 million union members in 130 countries who are engaged in sectors such as forestry, energy, and construction. I asked Ms. Mofuken to to describe the extent of Chinese investment in Africa. We are talking about almost in the BWI sectors in energy and in infrastructure, we are talking about almost over $95 billion investment. We are informed by researchers that there are over 3,030 projects of, in, of Chinese investors in Africa in 51 countries. And these are funded by public enterprises or state-owned enterprises, and they are funded by their own uh, bank, the state bank, the China Exim, as well as the Development Bank of China. And if you look at uh, the contractors that are winning the bids in Africa, out of 10, almost nine are won by Chinese investors. They are the biggest employer in the, in the construction sector. Are there problems related to the workers employed by Chinese companies in Africa? Of course, there are many challenges. One is that it is very difficult to organize new Chinese companies because they don't want their workers to join the union. And of course, uh, they don't want to respect labor legislation. Occupational health and safety standards are very poor. It is only when unions are raising the alarm, the new strategy now, not tackling Chinese uh, investors, but talking to their own government to put pressure on these employers, the new kinds of employers in Chinese multinational companies to respect labor legislation and to allow unions to organize. It is a, a, a mountain to climb. Now here are the low-tide drifters with every stitch. Thread of justice 
international labor news you can use. You can find our feature stories and daily newscasts at www.radiolabor.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Labor. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. That was Radio Labor, um, 
So all over the world, labor struggles are taking place because all over the world, there are greedy capitalists who want to make their living off other people's work. I'm not worried about the labor movement or even the union movement because capitalists keep creating the conditions that make people rebel, that make people, people go out on strike. They're the ones who invent the conditions. I haven't played uh, this show, MTV, a show called Decoded with Francesca Ramsey. This one is, uh, why is legal immigration in the U.S. almost impossible? Let's hear what Francesca has to say. A foreigner moves to America. No, wait, he applies for a green card to move to America. And then that takes two or four years, so we've got some time before I get to the punchline. The immigration debate isn't exactly a new conversation in America, but lately that debate has gotten even more heated, what with talk of travel bans and multi-billion dollar border walls. Lots of people have their own ideas about the solution to the so-called illegal immigrant problem, but few realize or care how the immigration process in America actually works. Spoiler alert, it doesn't work. For those who aren't in the know, why can't they just get in line to come here legally? Seems like a pretty reasonable question. But this isn't the old timey days when 98% of people who showed up to Ellis Island were let into the country. Today, America's immigration process is super long and super expensive. Follow me, if you will, through the hellish landscape that is green card land. It's like Candyland, only way more depressing. So you wanna live and work in America. There are several ways to achieve this, and none of them are easy or necessarily guaranteed to make you a citizen. First, you've gotta figure out what kind of tedious application journey you're about to embark on. Let's talk about a few. If you're from a country with a low immigration rate, you could apply for the green card lottery, in which over 11 million people worldwide each year apply for only 50,000 available visas. Gotta love those less than 0.5% odds. But for argument's sake, let's say you apply for the lottery and don't win. You could file an employment-based application. All you need is an eligible employer in the United States to sponsor you and pay for the application process and prove you're not taking away a valuable job from a US citizen. Don't worry, this will only take like a year to get approved by the Labor Department if you have a master's or PhD, and only two to five years if you don't. Plus, you have to be outside the US if you don't have lawful status. And on top of that, you haven't even applied for the actual visa yet. Isn't waiting for years on slim hopes the best? But if you're really special, you can apply for a shiny EB1 visa. That's for aliens of extraordinary ability. Basically, anyone who's managed to excel in the arts, business, academia, or athletics, and fits at least three of 10 special, special people requirements, or they've made a cool one-time achievement like winning a Pulitzer, an Oscar, or an Olympic medal. What, you don't have a Pulitzer? Let's say maybe the employer thing didn't work and your Pulitzer was lost in the mail. Well, you can have a family member petition for you, if they're already living in the United States legally. If you're flying solo, your last option is to find a spouse. Just be prepared to prove it's real. Contrary to every 90s sitcom sham green card marriage plot, the whole process doesn't take place in 30 hilarious minutes, but over the course of several months to a year. And you may even have to prove it again two years later if you haven't been married that long. But if you don't have 
have an American Bay? Well, bye. Did I mention the cost of all of this? Because no matter what application you file, it's going to be a pretty penny. A standard green card application costs $1,760, and a lawyer to walk you through the filing process can run you anywhere from $500 to $10,000, depending on how complicated your case is going to be. Plus, there are literally hundreds of different forms that you may have to file, and all of them will cost something. You'll be shelling out money on fees to the government, lawyers, passport photos, biometrics, mailing costs, and so on, all while trying to, you know, live your life. All right, so let's say you've managed to raise the money to pay all the fees and maybe get a decent lawyer. You've gathered all the necessary documents and filled out your applications to the best of your ability. Good job on answering no to are you a terrorist? You win, right? You've reached Green Card Castle. <laughs> no. The Department of Homeland Security, which now manages immigration, is notorious for its backlogged, outdated system. An application can get rejected for all kinds of reasons. Maybe your passport photos aren't the right size. Or you forgot to check a box on page 19. And even if your application is perfect, you can wait up to four years for a response. And in some cases, even 10. Plus, if you're rejected after all this, you could face deportation or go back to start in this long and costly green card land adventure. Look, America is a country of immigrants, except Native Americans, of course, and African Americans who were, you know, brought here against their will. Obviously, undocumented immigration is a complex issue, which means there's no easy solution. But maybe before building a wall or issuing highly specific travel bans, we should focus on building a better system for welcoming new folks in. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time right here on Decoded.
mucho mil almas no vi que nería asistió
Here's one of our favorite live cuts. Huh? You need to take notes on this and just know that it looks so much better when you're sticking together. Amigos, get about this motherfucker. Y'all got him fucked up. Look at him. They sent a couple of them home. They all packed they shit up and shut this motherfucker down. Nigga, who y'all think y'all playing with? Mexico, man, this is what black people need to be on, man. I swear to God, I love this shit. They are packing they shit up and shutting this motherfucker. Huh? Uh, on my mama. All that shit. <laughs> they are not bullshitting. They packed up. Yeah, I see. It's over. Them motherfuckers now packed up and dipped. They thought they was going to play with these amigos. And they said, oh, yeah, we rise together, homie. And they leaving. And they not bullshitting. Take this in, man. Look at this, man. They shut this big motherfucker down today, man. We all going home, man. The SAs. Look, ain't no grinding, cutting, welding. This motherfucker dead ass quiet. The Mexicans shut this motherfucker down, nigga. Said, fuck you, bitch. And really, and really, see, this is what I'm talking about, baby. I swear to God, they got me here geeked up. Oh, my Malcolm X shit. Oh, my mama, nigga. Fuck the bullshit, nigga. Look at this. They shut this bitch down. They pissed them off, nigga. And they said, fuck you, we out. We not working no more today. Kiss my ass, nigga. I'll let y'all tomorrow. Oh, my mama. That's great. Look. Ain't nobody here. We're just cleaning up. We're going home. It's all from right with the essays, nigga. Fuck it. Going to the crib. Going to the going to the casa. I thought I would go me and boy be in. You swear to God, these motherfuckers want to play it. Hey. You want to get live? Subscribe. Okay, we had a little set there. First, we had uh, Francesca Ramsey. Talking about the real nuts and bolts facts of immigrating into this country and how impossible and how expensive and how fraught it is with uh, inconsistency and weight. 50,000 people out of 11 million who apply get into a lottery to get a green card. According to, to Mr. Trump, the man with the God complex, there are too many people who want to get in here, who want to come to our country. That didn't used to be a problem, did it? We wanted everyone we could get. Why? Because we needed their labor. And we still need their labor. We're cutting off our feet Cutting off your nose to spite your face. Okay, we had uh, Francesca Ramsey run that down. Then a couple of Lalo Guerrero tunes. Guerrero, um, very famous Mexican musician, worked both sides of the border. Uh, first, his song about Cesar Chavez. And then uh, his marijuana boogie. And we finished that off with our favorite one minute, 50 second uh, um, video of Mexican workers shutting down a, 
a plant in Indianapolis, Indiana, after a couple of their uh, representatives had been fired. And the rapper, who's digging it all so much. We've got uh, National, was it Black History Month? We, we cut up history into pieces like sashimi. This is black history, this is women's history, this is Latino history, this is white history, which often passes for universal history. Think about it, you know, who's the New York Times addressed to? Who's the audience of the New York Times? So I want to celebrate a great black leader, Frederick Douglass, from the uh, 19th century, a, an abolitionist, an escaped slave. He escaped uh, because he, he worked in Maryland, close to the line, and um, escaped, got work as a caulker on a ship, and um, began to write narrative of a slave's life and give speeches to abolitionist audiences. Uh, an advocate as well for women's suffrage. This is a professor of history talking about the recent problems with the governor of Virginia appearing in whiteface and or Klan suit. Um, let's listen to what he has to say. This is from Democracy Now! Paul Robeson. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman as we continue to celebrate the remarkable life and legacy of Frederick Douglass on his 201st birthday. We're joined now by Ibram X. Kendi, professor of history and international relations at American University, founding director of its anti-racist research and policy center. Professor Kendi spoke last night at the Library of Congress at an event honoring Frederick Douglass, where he quoted the renowned abolitionist who once said, quote, if there is there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. This struggle may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, or it may be both moral and physical, but it must be a struggle. Those are the words of Frederick Douglass, quoted by Ibram X. Kendi, who is a National Book Award-winning author of Stamp from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. His forthcoming book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. He's also a contributing editor at The Atlantic Magazine. Welcome to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be on the show. How does Frederick Douglass inspire you in this week of the anniversary of his birth? Well, I think that many, many people are, are trying to sort of imagine how to bring about a new world uh, based on everything that's been happening in, in, in recent years. And, and Frederick Douglass, 
constantly sort of told us that, that the road is not going to be easy, but the road must be a road of struggle. And so for me, he, he constantly sort of <laughs> tells me, as you, you, you sort of mentioned in, in that iconic sort of message, that we have to struggle and we can never stop struggling. And the only way that we will be defeated is if we stop struggling. I want to ask you about what's happening in Virginia right now. The top three embattled officials of Virginia, starting with uh, Governor Northam. Um, the Democratic governor continues to resist mounting calls for um, uh, his resignation after um, a photograph appeared on his medical school book school yearbook page that showed a man in Ku Klux Klan garb next to a man in blackface. At first, uh, Governor Northam apologized for this, uh, suggesting he was one of these two men. And then he said it wasn't him, um, although he did wear blackface to impersonate Michael Jackson at another point um, that same year. Um, can you respond to what this means? You had a very interesting piece uh, on blackface and suggestions for what Governor Northam should read, not to mention what he should do right now. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think like many people that, that he should resign and, and that, uh, you know, for a very long time, African Americans and other Americans have, have felt offended from blackface, uh, felt as if Americans weren't listening to them as we told them that this was not certainly something that should be going on. And now African Americans in, in Virginia and other Americans are calling on, on the governor to resign, and, and he's not sort of respecting them in that way either. Uh, but if he, if he decides to, to stay into office and he decides to take up more of a racial quality platform, as, as his advisors are suggesting, then I think he should embrace that fully and truly seek to be an anti-racist governor and s truly seek to look at the racist policies that are causing all of the racial inequities in his state. But first and foremost, he should seek to recognize how and why blackface is so offensive by going on a binge of reading uh, of anti-racist texts. So I sort of offered some of those texts he could read. What are those, some of those texts? Oh, man. So, I mean, he, he could, of course, start out with some political memoirs and the autobiography of Malcolm X or Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Cage Book Sings. He can read essays like Between the World and Me or even The Fire. By Ta-Nehisi Coates. Yeah, by Ta-Nehisi Coates or The Fire Next Time by, by James Baldwin or The Fire This Time by, by Jasmine Ward, her anthology. Or he can read books on on slavery. like um, and, and so, I mean, I think there's so many texts that he could read if, if he was seriously interested in learning about racism in this country. So you have just finished a book, um, uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. How? Well, I think first and foremost, for us to recognize there's no such thing as a not racist. And so typically when Americans are, are charged with expressing racist ideas or, or defending racist policies, Americans like to respond by saying, I'm not a racist. And, and I have yet to figure out what it means to be a not racist. And so I think first and foremost, for Americans to stop being in denial 
uh, about their racist ideas, about the policies that are that are causing racial disparities, and, and recognize that there's only racist and anti-racist ideas, notions of racial hierarchy and notions of racial equality. There are only racist and anti-racist policies, policies that yield racial equity and policies that yield racial inequity. And then there are only people who are supporting either or both. And so I think for us, first and foremost, to recognize that there's no such thing as a not racist, and for us to recognize we can only be racist or anti-racist. Hmm. Um, Professor Kendi, uh, you wrote a beautiful piece in The Atlantic magazine about, well, this period, this last year that you've been writing your book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, you also went through a health crisis yourself, being diagnosed with fourth-stage metastatic colon cancer, what, over a year ago? Yes. Um, 88 percent of people don't make it. Uh, talk about the diagnosis and how you came through this. Yeah, so I mean, I, yeah, around this time last year, I think January 10th of, of last year, I had a colonoscopy and uh, we were shocked when the, when the doctor came in and, and said that, that she saw something abnormal, which she thought was cancer, and then the next day they scanned my body and, and found that that colon cancer had spread to my liver, um, and there were tumors in my liver. And so, being I think I was 35 years old, I was completely shocked. I didn't have any of the risk factors, uh, but at the same time, uh, they said there was a chance, uh, you know, a chance that I could recover. And so, of course, I, I went did six months of chemotherapy and, and almost immediately the, the tumors started to shrink um, and ultimately I did surgery at the end of the summer and, and the, the surgeons went in and, and found that there were no cancer cells left and, and for me the way that I, I got through that process was more or less sort of thinking about um, writing of course the book but even sort of thinking about what was possible I mean I tried to really appreciate the little things in life and and just know that if there's a possibility then then I want to be that possibility you had a little girl yes when you were diagnosed how old was she she was about she was about one hmm. yeah so how did it change your views you wrote in the piece the more my fear of death changed into the wonder of survival the more I reflected on what I was writing. If I could live on, why not live on to be anti-racist? Why not live to be fully human and see all others as fully human and fight to ensure our policies see and treat all humans fully and equitably? Yeah, I mean, it, it really, I mean, in many ways, the cancer diagnosis and the fight, and of course, it was extremely difficult going through six months of chemo privately. Um, but I, I think for me, it, it allowed me to recognize just how precious, you know, our time is on this earth, just how short our time is on this earth, and just how serious we should be about our time on this earth. And, and so for me, that's what it really was. I mean, we need to take every moment that we have on this earth seriously. And for me, that seriousness was, was trying to create a new anti-racist world. You talked about a kind of cocoon of women around you, your little girl your partner and your mother yes yes so my mother when i when we told her that i more than likely had cancer she, her response was well we'll deal with it and that was it and and that's typically how she responded to adversity 
that will deal with it. And, um, and so, you know, for me, I was like, okay, we will deal with it. And, and, and my partner as well, who, who's a physician and who knew how serious it was, I didn't even know that 88% of people with stage four colon cancer are, are likely, are basically dying, but she knew. Um, but she, of course, was extremely supportive throughout. And then my, my daughter, who of course didn't know what was going on and, and expected her daddy to be acting the same way even if I got chemotherapy earlier in the day. And, and so how could I not act the same way? So how does it feel to be part of the 12%? <sighs> it, it, I mean, it feels good. And, and of course, I'd like to continue to be in that 12%. Well, it is a pleasure to spend this time with you. And we look forward to interviewing you in your book when it comes out this summer. Thank you. Um, Ibram X. Kendi. Ibram X. Kendi. New book is How to Be a non an Anti-Racist. So there's no not racist. You can't say not racist. You're either a racist or an anti-racist. Which one are you? You're going to have to serve somebody. Okay, I want to get on to the labor beat now, especially about uh, let's see. Carlos Santana, John Lee Hooker. Etta James, here we go. Let's do the boogie. Let's boogie. Let's boogie.
John Lee Hooker for sure, and uh, Carlos Santana for sure, but no Eddie James. It was uh, Elvin Bishop who joined the uh, the jam and played uh, guitar there. All right, let's take a look on the uh, labor beat. Um, Denver teachers go on strike after failing to reach a deal with administrators on pay following, this is a wave of strikes now. Does it get short shrift on our nation, on our nationwide TV, on the cable shows? It certainly does. Teachers rising up in the reddest of states, in blue states, like California and now like Denver, Colorado. This is a Denver TV show that's covering the strike. I'm Tom Mustin. And I'm Jacqueline Allen. Here's a timeline of how tomorrow's strike is going to go down. At 6.30 in the morning, teachers will hold a pre- press conference at South High School. Then from 7 to 11, teachers will picket at schools across the city. Two in the afternoon, teachers are asking the community to join them for a rally on the Capitol steps. All schools are expected to stay open except DPS preschools. We want to get straight to our team coverage tonight, covering multiple angles of the strike. Reporter Ryan Luby is live at a Denver school where students will actually have cell phones confiscated tomorrow. And Megan Lopez is at a Denver church, which is showing support for the teachers. But we first want to go to Thomas Hoppo with Thomas, some signs of the time. Well, right now we are currently at the CEA building where they are currently building their signs right now 
to go on strike tomorrow. This is what it says right here. It says Denver educators on strikes for our students. Now, we want to bring in Rachel Sandoval, uh, Denver public school teacher right now. Uh, Rachel, go ahead and come right over here. Um, and what are you guys doing right now and what are you preparing? So right now we're getting our um, strike signs ready. We're getting a strike captain information ready so that our people know where to go and what's expected of them. And Rachel, what is the message that you guys are trying to get across and what are you guys trying to achieve? We need a livable, predictable um, wage so that we can live in Denver, um, by the, live with the communities in which we serve. Right now our salary schedule is so unpredictable. We don't know year from year what we're going to make or how to read it. And for parents and some of your students who are watching right now, I mean, what is the message you want to deliver to them about what you guys are doing today and tomorrow? We love you, and we're doing this for them. Um, it's absolutely imperative that we have teachers that stay in the buildings. Longevity is huge for children of trauma, and so we, are, we need to stay in there as long as we can, and this a predictable salary schedule will help us do that. And this is probably a question that's on a lot of parents' minds and students as well. I mean, how long do you guys plan to go? We, honest to God, don't know. We are taking it day by day, but obviously we would like this resolved as soon as possible. All right, Rachel, thank you. You guys, they are still here. They're going to be here for about another hour or two making these signs. And from what we've heard from teachers is that they're going to be at their specific schools on strike showing these signs. They're reporting live in downtown Denver. Thomas Hoppo, Denver 7. All right, thanks for that, Thomas. There it is. Denver teachers on strike now. Call on me, brother, when you need a hand. This was the 11th, so. Lean on me. They're still out. And you're not strong. Meanwhile, less than 14 hours to go now. Our countdown clock is ticking. The Denver teachers are ready to hit the picket lines. Good evening. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Tom Mustard. And I'm Jacqueline Allen. Here's a timeline of how tomorrow. Okay, we already heard that one. Denver teachers. I mean, this is largely ignored or or kind of judiciously put aside to see, to make space for what uh, Mr. Trump is doing or saying, and all the legal ramifications of the uh, trials and tribulations that teachers are going through for so long now, for so long, legislators have figured that it's a place to cut. The place to cut is education because teachers will always make up the difference. And we do, we did. I always did, teachers do. You see something that might work well in your classroom or you get an idea, you're not gonna get any help from the district. You're not going to get any help probably from your your principal. You've got to pay for it yourself. And teacher salary has never been that high anyway. These are the people who take care of your kids. Figure in a classroom of about 30 kids, how much does child care cost? Child care plus education. Child care costs what? $10 an hour, $15 an hour, um, $5 an hour, whatever it is. If it's $5 an hour, 5 times 30 is $150 an hour. Plus the idea that you have to educate the kids. So it, it's more than that. 
$200 an hour, $1,000 a day, still only 5,000 times 12 times... Six hours a day. Anyway, times five, times 30, five times 30, 150, times six, that's $900 a day, y'all. If teachers were being paid at childcare rates, which they, of course, they do, that's part of the job. Ah, okay, so Denver teachers go on strike following their colleagues in West Virginia, in Oklahoma, in Pennsylvania. All right, let's see. This is a movie I happened across called I Haven't Got the News Yet. It's it's called it's about a uh, movement of black auto workers, and uh, their their um, their organization was called Drum, and uh, they organized in all the big auto factories in in and around Detroit. And this film, which is called Haven't, Haven't Got the News Yet, tells about uh, their, their movement, their revolt uh, at the time, 1969-1970. Something, of course, I never heard about. You probably never heard about. Black power combined with labor militancy. So check it out. Haven't got the news yet. See if we can. Okay, again, we're going to refer to Matamoros, where 40,000, okay, 40,000 workers went on strike and won. Did you hear about it? Did you hear about it? No. Two reasons. It happened in Mexico. And historically, in the U.S., we know much less about what's happening or has happened in Mexico than we do about Europe, Western Europe especially. So, Matamoros, big... And I want to get to another thing. This is something I'm working on right now. Uh, trying to write curriculum for kids to learn about climate change. A Green New Deal for American Labor is the question. And it's on labor notes. And I'm just going to read a, a portion of it because it really touches on the contradiction. A lot of people keep, keep in mind there's a contradiction. Okay. <clears throat> uh, 
The first reaction of one worker to the Green New Deal is that it's a lot of well-meaning people who don't necessarily know what they're talking about. There's always a group of people, Norton said, that want to do these kinds of projects. But they want us to do them at $15 an hour or $13 an hour. In contrast, he said... Wages and benefits for a union journeyman can total up to $74 an hour. He believes what's necessary for an environmentally friendly jobs program is to do it in a way that's responsible. So we don't kill every job in the state. California is a good example, he said. The state has created a whole wave of green jobs and good ones at that. Local 11 has had as many as a thousand electricians working on a solar project at a given time. Why not do the same in Appalachia and Detroit? In New York, a coalition called Climate Jobs New York has used pre-hire collective bargaining agreements called Project Labor Agreements to win guarantees that workers will be paid prevailing wages at $1.5 billion in renewable energy projects. These are in wind energy construction, solar, and the retrofitting of schools and other public buildings. There it is, the contradiction. Certainly, it's time to save the earth. It's getting too late to save the earth. It's getting too late to save our natural world and our connection to it. It has to be done. That's what the environmental movement is offering us. Workers are saying, okay, it has to be done. How are we going to transition over there? I'm making 75 bucks an hour as a union journeyman now. Am I going to go back to work for $15 an hour on a green job? No. So I invite your attention. Think about that one. This is the B, and it's about time for me to go. Uh, let's see. Looking for something by Kerry uh, Miraji. Okay, remember... Never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Remember, please, that if you don't have a seat at the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. And please remember that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. This is the B signing off. Thanks for joining me today. And I hope to uh, be talking to you next week. This is Labor and Love Radio from Mutiny Radio. The site of the Mutiny Radio Labor Festival. <clears throat> One of the biggest events in 
in uh, underground comedy in San Francisco. Remember, please. That your landlord, the insurance agent, and your employer are trying to lower your wages, raise your premiums, and raise your rent. It's time to get political. Bye, everybody. Have a happy Saturday. Stay tuned now for Flat Black Plastic. of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is Darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counteroffer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. 
Counter Offers menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offers serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF Visual and Auditory Mind Control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Welcome. Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5. Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, punk rock and schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter-offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Benders is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Benders Bar and Grill. Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips, don't. <laughs> anything about it sorry all on my limited view yes every tuesday from 12 to 2 uh oh you can if you can also find us on apple Podcasts. oh yeah and google play and stitcher itunes oh you already said that tune in radio uh stitcher you said that spotify oh my god there's just so many and overcast um, yes, you can also find us on social media, M as in Mary, L as in Larry, P as in Peter, podcast, MOV podcast is our handle. Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your review. Yes. Bye. Bye. That, that kind of sucked balls.
Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.Evan. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I can tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Mutiny Radio listener, it's that time of year again. March 1st through 5th, it's time for the 4th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Over 40 comics, 25 shows, 5 days, all here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street. 25 shows, 5 days, amazing comics from all over the United States, here in San Francisco, to entertain you with 25 differently themed shows hosted by local San Francisco comedians, bringing you comedians from all over the United States here. Everything will be live, live streaming and podcast post. Get your tickets, $10 a show, 25 shows, a million laughs. It's the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival brought 